This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. This episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever is being brought to you in association with Wednesdays to Maine, a brilliant new alcohol-free wine brand. Fed up of not being able to find a decent alcohol-free wine, the founder, Luke, set about creating Wednesdays to Maine, a great-tasting, beautifully-branded, alcohol-free alternative. When you remove the alcohol from a wine, you impact its taste, texture and aromas. Rather than simply bottle what's left, you've got to take a different approach. It's for that reason that they blend their wines with an array of natural flavours and ingredients to create something that pairs as well with a packet of crisps on the sofa as it does with a beautifully cooked meal shared with friends. Bex, you've tried the wines, haven't you? I have. I tried them at the back end of last year and I was completely blown away by the taste. As loads of you know, I gave up drinking last year and the red wine is, oh, I just craved it. The red Mm. wine is what really, (laughs) red wine is what really got me and I've tried all of them. and then when I when I discovered Luke and Wednesdays to Maine, I was like, right, this is it. It's it's, it's do or die. And ordered a bottle, and it was it's it's so good. It's so it's just like red wine. And also, it's not just that about when you when you're not drinking and you're sat at a table full of adults. You know what is the alternative? So many people don't even have it's it's like wine or water. Mm. And having that wine that you can take to a party with a beautiful label and a beautiful bottle, it just made me feel like a grown up. Feeling part of the moment and part of the conversation are central to Wednesday's Domain's ethos, and we couldn't agree more. And finally, you might be thinking, why on earth are they called Wednesday's Domain? Well, we asked the same question and loved the answer. They want to become your midweek wine alternative, providing you with all the joy that comes with opening a bottle and pouring a glass, yet none of the after effects you'd find in a regular bottle of wine. If that's tickled your pickle, find out more at wednesdaysdomain.com and please take advantage of their 15% discount code GIRLGANG15, available until 31st of March 2023. Okay, hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are so delighted to be joined by MJ and I'm so so excited because MJ is a friend of mine so thank you so much for uh for agreeing to chat to us MJ oh you are welcome it's so an nice IRL to see friend. you as well <laughs> an IRL friend but I mean I haven't seen you for years, years. before COVID yeah <laughs> 
But yeah. so MJ is here because you are, how many weeks are you pregnant? I am now 34 weeks pregnant. 34 weeks pregnant, but you're yeah. a surrogate, aren't you? I am, yeah, for um, two lovely parents that I have met through Surrogacy UK, through the organisation that I joined last uh, year ago in March. Amazing. amazing. So take us back, take us back, because this is such, it's a topic that we've had a lady, we've had a lady on our podcast who was using a surrogate, but we've never spoken to a surrogate before. So I'm just so, I'm firstly, I'm so blown away by the that kind of generosity of giving your body over to something. Because obviously I've been through pregnancy and it's not, it's a huge thing, isn't it? It's a huge it's a huge thing for your body to go through. So what was it that made you think like, yeah, I want to do this? Well, I think when we, um, my husband and I decided that we had our two children, we've got a boy and a girl, we thought that's that's it for us. Um, I physically was having, um, I was having dreams about being pregnant again, even though it wasn't an option for us. And I figured that my body had one more in, in me to give mm. um and as I didn't want to another baby um I I yeah I had to, went into deep discussions with Ed about it and I said I think I'd like to gift a pregnancy if I can do it if the GP says it's fine if we're signed off by uh, everybody in the organization how do you feel about us um supporting a couple or or an individual to have a family of their own so it, it kind of it, it felt like a calling it felt mm-hmm. like something I wanted I, I had in me still there was like a bubbling for a pregnancy but not for another child and what did your husband that. say um at first he was like are you mad mm-hmm. <laughs> and he thought he was he, he uh, had lots of questions but because I'd done a lot of research and I'd looked into the organizations that support um surrogates through the program through the process um I could answer those questions and also we went along to quite a few um, workshops just to see what it was like and what everything that was entailed and when we worked out that we weren't going to lose out on anything and actually be able to um, have so much support going through the process it, it felt settling and so he was like if you want to do this this is something you want to do I'm here for you we'll do it let's do it but how do you even and- begin that process what do you what do you do? So there's a number of different routes you can go down. There's independent journeys. Um, there's loads of Facebook support groups. And then there's organisations like SUK, Surrogacy UK, that you apply to. They will give you all the information you need, the step-by-step process, contacting your GP first, getting your GP referral just to make sure physically that they've got no issues and mentally as well. Um, then we all had to be DBS checked again. And then we are given access to the community, which is nationwide. You can meet intended parents from all over the country. And you can go to, on at the time when I joined, there was, COVID was still a big thing. So everything was online. Um, we did a few online socials where we just met everybody from the community. You didn't know whether they were intended parents or fellow surrogates or or they'd been through the process and they were there just to support the community still. So it was, it was just a, it's like an intense dating period. Mm, so you yeah, just we've heard that before. And, and then, how, 
how do you actually go ahead? How do you pick your, I mean, that's must be a mutual thing. There must be kind of a, because we've talked about it before about likening it to, a, to kind of dating, dating sort of, you know, as you say, speed dating. And, and someone said to us, it's, you can't just go in and be like, will you, you know, I quite yeah. like the look of you as a, as a surrogate. So how does that, how do you choose? So it's, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, personally, we started with the database of all the intended parents and just looked within a 200 or two hour radius of drive time from our, from where we are. Yeah. So it took, I mean, but <laughs> there's so many stories. There's, you read everybody's profile and everything I was feeling was I wanted to help all of them yeah but in this country you can't offer directly um to a to intended parent uh the organization you go through then contacts them so for us we just read all the profiles but for me and for Ed it went on gut gut instinct really Mm. we just went with somebody with a couple that we got on with first we felt that we could trust and they well, we, we built a relationship where they could trust us too because they didn't know that we were looking at them initially. Um, they also, just their story just called. It was just all a calling. It sounds really cheesy, but I just felt like heart, head and stomach were all aligned on that and it just felt right. Just yeah. What, what was it? Can you tell us a little bit about their story? So... Um, they are a straight couple. I mean, there's so many different backgrounds, but for, for our intended parents that we're in a team with now, they're dear friends now because we've built up such a relationship with them. Um, and it's a it's a relationship with such purpose as well that it just yeah. felt, it, it's an intense relationship, but for a different reason um, because they were strangers at first. But um, so... Intended father and intended mother had been trying for with IVF for 13 years during that time. So the intended mother has a um, medical condition. She has epilepsy um, and the medication she was on wasn't supporting the IVF treatment mm-hmm. that she was going through. Um, but it took a lot of consultant appointments and a lot of clinic visits to get to that and there was so many losses and um, false positives before that came out that 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 it wasn't working Mm. but the problem was changing her medication was going to affect her more than um the more physically with her condition of epilepsy than it was going to help with the IVF Mm. it was a juggle it was a battle they were also hit by further health problems Nicola then had cancer and her treatment from that also threw her into menopause so it was they they ended up with two embryos in on ice in the clinic and with the intention that following her chemo and her her, um, clearance from the cancer she would then be able to have these embry- one of these embryos transferred back to her. But mm. once she came out of treatment from cancer, she was then told it's not, 
not possible. Mm. And they took a couple of years to um, come round to the idea of surrogacy. They went through a grieving process and mm. counselling. And, you know, I, I can only imagine, because I'm on the other side of it, how heavy it would have felt to mm. come to terms with that final, final decision that this is not going to work. Yeah. After so many attempts at trying. Um, and so they applied to Surrogacy UK to become intended parents and look for a surrogate um, and meet people. But they, at the time, there wasn't a huge influx of surrogates into the organisation and they keep the ratios quite stable. So there's normally three sets of intended parents or three individual inter- intended parents to one surrogate. And they keep that as more applications come in. So they can stay as applicants for a number of months until mm. enough surrogates come into the organisation to then allow more intended parents to join as full members. Because otherwise it just floods the organisation and it just yeah. moves anywhere. And it can really harm hope, I think. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's they. I think they were applicants for 18 months before they became members so Um, did you choose them or do they choose you so initially surrogates have the control over choosing a couple to get to know and a get to know period is a minimum of three months where you exclusively date right (laughs) (laughs) where you have this um time just to ask those questions and be more one-on-one because the social experience of of meeting the community is so overwhelming yeah. it's it's huge and online socials and face-to-face socials can be really intimidating so it was such a nice settling feeling asking the organization if they would be happy to get to know me one-to-one and then they get access to my profile at that point right so okay see, um what I'm about where I live a few details about my family and any expenses that I feel may be incurred. Mm. Um, and they can see whether or not that would work with their... Their, uh, their expectations. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how, were they a long way from you? Were they fairly local? Or? They are an hour door-to-door. Okay. Oh, yeah. so that's not too bad. So do you see them often? So we see them... Probably more now because we're closing in on the end of the pregnancy. Um, then we, I don't know, maybe every couple of weeks originally. Um, I think with our schedules and their work schedules through the summer, it was easier because I was off work with the children that I could meet up with them more frequently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with shift work and stuff, it's just been as and when, but it's it's making sure that we're meeting and hanging out as friends, not just at appointments. Yeah. Happen yeah. And that makes it feel very transactional for me yeah. personally. So yeah, it's been nice to, we were around at theirs for fake Christmas last weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> we thought we'd get that in before the baby came. Oh, that's so cool. And they've met your children. Yeah. Yeah. They've met our children from the very first um, face-to-face. So that's nice. And but for our children, we didn't tell them the reasons initially. We just yeah. said we're meeting friends, and they they were pretty oblivious about it. They just went along. But 
it was when we had a confirmed pregnancy and then a 12 week scan that I was like okay before they start asking me why I've got such a big food baby I'm gonna have to start yeah. talking to how old are they your children uh, my eldest is eight and my youngest is six okay and how did you broach that conversation with them um, we used uh, some of the support system from Sar- Surrogacy UK. They recommended a book about um, the kangaroo pouch, which is a kangaroo that um, loans their pouch to another family um, to help them because their pouches don't work. So, yeah, was very I cute. love that. <laughs> and, it, and they had lots of questions and thankfully <laughs> they were all ones I could answer, but mostly mm. about how did they get their baby inside you? That was the one I was most worried about mm. because um, they we've talked about reproduction before with them, but I obviously didn't have intercourse with the intended father. <laughs> so there was another conversation to have yeah. with, with um, them about um, what happens in a clinic and how they stored an embryo and that's two cells from from mummy and daddy and they put them together in the clinic and then they let them grow a little bit and then they've transferred them to me and it's very very tiny and now it's very very big <laughs> so yeah so that's that's interesting because can you can you be a surrogate using your own eggs you can yeah that's um called traditional surrogacy okay um and a lot of uh teams that go down that route um either do home insemination or use um IVF I take an egg um an egg uh, egg collection and yeah. then fertilize in the lab and then uh, retransfer so what was the process that you went through was that not IVF no because well it was IVF but it was without my eggs so I was lucky that the clinic allowed me to do a natural cycle mm-hmm. I didn't have to take any medications they just watched tracked my ovulation and when I ovulated, I gave them a call. They then asked me to come in three days later because um, the intended parents that I, I'm with are have had three day day three frozen embryos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we just went into clinic with my full bladder, hoping that they defrosted um, well without any problems. And just had one transferred into me on my day three after ovulation. And it worked. Wow. It worked first time, unbelievably, to all of us. We were all in shock from that. That is incredible. That is amazing. And I wanted to ask you, there must be, do you get counselling? Do they make sure you have counselling and stuff? And is that for your husband as well and both of them? Or Yeah, the clinic had to um, ensure we were all of sound mind. I wasn't being coerced. I wasn't Mm. um, uh, doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, uh, They offer it to the intended parents separately, then myself and my husband, and then we have a group session as well. But there is so much support available in SUK. You can contact um, any of the trustees. If you have any issues, there is a resident counsellor who does support um, conference calls zooms at regular intervals um, throughout the year and you can and there's also like a hub for surrogates only where you can talk to those that have done this journey twice three times Mm. four times and the wealth of experience with clinics 
with intended parent relationship management and all sorts. It's there. So I did feel really supported right from the get go. They also run workshops for um, surrogate partners. So there is there is a way to talk for Ed to talk to other guys or girls that are going through it um, alongside a surrogate partner. Mm. And have there any have there any there been any sort of jealousy or any emotions like that that sort of any ugly feelings I suppose in in terms of you or your intended parents has there been any kind of difficult stuff to work through um not with our team I mean I I feel like uh, the, the ethos of having the friendship first it really helps um mm. we've We've all sat down together with a hypnobirthing instructor who talked us through any anxieties we had, and not one of them came up as jealousy. Um, I think I try and keep both the both intended parents involved in the journey as much as possible, d- despite the distance. I will let them know if I've had a sleepless night, and I'll let them know if you know it's been a good day or how much movement I'm feeling so that they are involved because it is their journey as well I'm having the pregnancy but it's their baby so Mm -hmm. for me I've been just been trying to keep them involved and we check in with each other emotionally all the time just to make Mm -hmm. sure that how that you know they don't feel left out or if there's any more they'd like to do if they want a video or if they want some pictures or they, they keep all the scan images it's They've been at every appointment. So I don't feel for our team there has been any issues with those kind of feelings. And if they have, they haven't necessarily brought them to me. Mm. And That's do you, good. Yeah, I think the, ma- the, the main question that it must be thought about, because it's one that I thought about a lot, is what happens if you don't want to give the baby up? Oh, my gosh, that's not even a problem. My biggest fear is that they don't want him when he arrives. Really? <laughs> yes, 100%. There is no, from the get-go, this is never my baby, to the point when I had embryo transfer in March, I was walking out the clinic feeling like I'd shoplifted. I did not have any feelings of this was mine and I was taking it and it, I'm going to And even when back. you feel the movement and stuff like that, you have got no emotional connection other than the emotion that you know is brought by giving a baby to another couple, allowing enabling another couple to have a baby. Honestly, my whole focus on this is the fact that I've been so lucky to be able to help these this couple become a family, and the love in their eyes, the emotion when they um, saw the their first ever positive pregnancy test. I just. It's all about them, and I cannot wait to see them as a three, mm. just in the hospital when that when he's born. That's so lovely. But I think the the thing that people when people think about surrogacy, mm. they they know that it, legally the baby is is the the surrogates, right? To begin with. Yeah, this is true. And so that's what, is... I think that's what makes it it's a little bit sort scary. of scary for people when they're thinking about it. Yeah, and I think that always comes back down to trust. Yeah. You don't go into a team with a surrogate that you've got maybe a red flag against. And vice yeah. versa, I wouldn't go into a team with intended parents that didn't make me feel completely comfortable. Um, 
because it is a bigger fear for surrogates that you're going to be left with a baby that you don't want because I'm don't I'm going through a pregnancy that I feel like I can handle but I don't want a newborn yeah I've I've got <laughs> I've got two kids that keep, drive me wild like I can't I can't do that again <laughs> yeah. and it was never an option and those that's why you have to get to know each other so intensely so in mm. such a short period of time because you've got to know that both parties are entering into this because they want the outcome the same outcome yeah and what about your kids like because obviously they've seen you grow and presumably they sort of stroke your tummy and felt kicks and stuff so have they become emotionally attached and what if have they ever said to you can we keep the baby <laughs> not no. one so when we talked about it my son was pretty much trying to get through the story as quickly as possible because he wanted to know whether or not he was going to football the next day yeah. um, <laughs> Heidi on the other hand is so invested in the fact that mummy's a surrogate and mummy is giving Baz and Nick, our friends, a baby. And and even when people say congratulations in the shop to us, she is the first one to be like, it's not ours. <laughs> it's, got, it's that's a friend's baby. Mummy's a surrogate. That baby's going back. <laughs> so she, she would not make a great middle child anyway. <laughs> not an option. But yeah, she's she is the first one to uh, set people straight. That's amazing. So how are you feeling now, 34 weeks? Um, I've decided to take uh, early oven leave. <laughs> um, oven leave, from, like the <laughs> from the tiredness. Uh, I think because I intend to go back to work fairly quickly, um, I thought it's best that I have the rest time and the preparation time beforehand. I feel I feel good. I mean, I've been really blessed. I don't ha- never had any nausea or morning sickness and... It's been very smooth sailing up until this point, touching wood, um, that we can, yeah, I can just see myself <laughs> handing him over and then having some good night's sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> and then going back to work in the new year. Wow. And what about your body? Obviously, you're, you, you give so much physically when, you, when you're pregnant. Mm. Do you worry about that, you know, the afterbirth and that kind of side of things or do you not haven't you given it much thought or I think I'm very laid back with my physical appearance I don't think physically I've already set myself some challenges for the new year I'm going to do a a really long walk for charity um, that my husband's going to train with me for and take part in so we've got time to reconnect as a couple as well um mm. but physically I I think maybe it's nine months of my life for a mm. lifetime of theirs I don't mm. think it's much of a sacrifice and worst case scenario if it means I can't do this again or um I have any any anything that means you know my body has changed forever then we deal with it as it happens I don't Mm. think I think for me having keeping those positive affirmations in my head gets me through everything in life anyway so yeah I just deal with surrogacy in the same way so would you do it again Mm. (laughs) I 
don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a probably not the question for right now. <laughs> no. I think with your little well, feet. Of, it's when you ha- when you've had one baby and someone in the supermarket says, "When's the next?" and you're like, mm. "Wait a minute." I'm still very much like that. I think um, we need to get through this journey first. See how things go emotionally and physically afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I might not have a choice. So we, we again deal with that when when we're you are very relaxed and and laid back aren't you I think that's probably really quite necessary for this imagine if you were someone who was highly strung it would be difficult wouldn't it yeah I think so and I think also that it's important to have that relationship with the right IPs with the right Mm. intended parents because Mm. um you have to still get on with your life you've still got a family of my own and I, I still had you know I was still working I'm still you know, dealing with everything in my community. It's just with this added extra bit. And if I had intended parents that were pretty strong-willed or um, um, I don't know how to put it politically correctly, like, but if they were really... Don't worry about face, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they were really um, wanted to know what I was eating or what I was doing and how much exercise I was getting, and I think I'd probably have problems the pregnancy yeah. would be more stressful yeah but they've just been ace they are ace. That, I guess that's people. that's the element of trust that we were talking about earlier isn't it the fact that you know you're pregnant you know that you've got to do certain things and not do certain things because mm. you're a responsible person let alone mm. you know let alone having someone else's child which is obviously a big thing so they've got to put that trust in you as well that you will just crack on yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I think that's when you probably get problems with teams and when teams break down because they're they've not had that time, that intense time to really get to know each other and ask mm. the right questions and raise those situations that what happened if this happened, how would you feel? You've got to talk through it all. Yeah. With SUK anyway, you've got a contract and an agreement. Yeah. So it's although it's not legally binding you have to talk about every eventuality to the point where they're the worst case scenarios Mm. and you have to be on the same page if you're not then it's not going to work so how are you feeling about the birth now well we've got an appointment on Wednesday to talk through our birth plan Um, I'm we've already discussed this way before we even started the journey through trying to conceive that I'm a very I'm very active in labor I'd like to be hypnobirthing I'd like a water birth if we can get there in time (laughs) and I'm I'm just excited I find the birth best bit I find the Mm. newborn in the fourth trimester the hardest part of Mm. having a baby so yeah I'm I'm excited I'm ready and will both intended parents be there with you yeah we that's our intention I mean and Ed too and Ed too yeah and my husband yeah so we've talked to consultants and the midwife um at the hospital and with every intention both intended parents will be there for their baby and my husband will be there for me that we can all four be in the room with a midwife (laughs) at the same time however they are obviously pretty guarded with their COVID policies and we may have to go with the flow on the day. But yes, so you'll far, definitely be there. 
<laughs> yeah, default, I have to be there. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Would you, I mean, would you think about a, a home birth or is that not an option with this sort of situation? Or it, it, I mean, it's always an option if um, the whole team are agreed. But for us, I think it puts most of us at ease for us to be in a, in a hospital setting. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It's very individual, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's individual, whatever your situation, you know, mm. that it's it's a big thing and you had to feel comfortable. But obviously, you've got different people to consider as well as yourself and Ed. So, yeah. Can Gosh, I ask um, one more question? Can I ask about money? Yeah, oh, sure. that's, what I, that's what I, you know, earlier when I was like, oh, I might leave that because I couldn't work out how to <laughs> do without going. So we, what are we looking at? We chatted to... Um, Francis on the podcast before and she told us a little bit about it but um so you don't you don't get paid do you it's just expenses tell us how that works yeah so in the UK the law is that surrogacy is a completely altruistic um uh offering that's for want of a better word but it yeah you do have to set some boundaries you can't be out of pocket through pregnancy expenses um and they have to be worked out before you get to know anybody. So the Surrogacy UK sends surrogates a spreadsheet covering every eventuality. Now, obviously, this is going to cover everything and more. Mm. Um, and it's it's individual. So my hourly rate, my husband's hourly rate, if he needed to take any time off, any childcare you might need, anything that is pregnancy-related, maternity wear, um pregnancy equipment you know a pillow or a waterproof mattress protector whatever you need Mm. is covered on this spreadsheet individualized to your surrogates the individual surrogates need and that final figure is given to the intended parents when you offer to get to know them um, before you make an official agreement as a team so if that if they feel they're comfortable with that amount then they will go ahead and say yes to you. Anything that happens, any eventuality that happens above and beyond those expenses of, I think it's more than £1,000, then you have to go to the Board of Trustees and declare why and go through reasons because nobody wants to be taken advantage of. No. And it has to, there has to be boundaries in place. So I think that's a really sensible way of doing it. And the fact that for me, it was through an organisation and not an independent journey just made me feel safer because you've got those guidelines in place for both sides of the team but um it is very awkward it's very awkward but with surrogacy uk they they say for the installments to be coming every month over 10 months from the date of the first positive pregnancy test okay so anything you need from then on you have in a separate account, you keep all your records. Kafkas will ask you about those when it comes to discussing the parental order. Um, mm. Just to show that every penny is accounted for and it's not, I'm not being paid to do this. Yeah. It is just to cover any loss of earnings and anything I needed to buy during the pregnancy. And with your job, do you get, I know we, you, you, it's oven leave, what you've called it, yeah. it's oven leave. <laughs> So is that no different from maternity leave or I guess it's not as long or? As a birthing person, you can take up to a year 
of maternity leave, um, whether it, you're keeping it's your baby or you're, it's a surrogacy pregnancy. So, yeah, you, you can have up to a year like any other maternity policy. Obviously, every employee is slightly different. Um, but, yeah, I just it's personal again. It depends on your circumstance, how your birth goes, how long you'll need to heal and how demanding your job is in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So you, the, the intended parents will leave the hospital with the baby. They will. And then how long afterwards do you sign the parental order? I think it can take anything up to a year. Okay. It depends on the courts. It depends on the, um, the administration around it. Uh, I know, I know it can happen as early as four months, um, but yeah, it can take up to a year for some. It is wow. so and interesting, and it, but it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing that this, this is available for people to do, but so amazing that there are people like you to make it happen. Yeah. I saw your, because I saw your post on Facebook ages ago to say that this what you were doing and sort of announcing it and I was just like blown away really really blown away by that having been through pregnancy myself and knowing you know all the ins and outs and stuff it's just such an incredible thing that you're doing I think yeah really really inspirational it is And thank you so much for sharing sharing your story and sharing it with us. And please say thank you to your intended mother and father as well, because I think I just think it's surrogacy. It's one of those topics that's really, really shrouded in mystery, and no one quite knows who to ask or what to ask or what's acceptable to say or think or feel feel. And it's it's definitely something that that needs more light thrown on it. Absolutely. There is so much support out there. Facebook groups like Surrogacy UK have have an open group for the organisation for questions and information. There's so much you can gain online now. And also they're contactable through the website. There's people that will talk about surrogacy and advocate for it um, Mm. really strongly. So there's so many people out there. So if anyone is thinking about it um, and but doesn't have the urge to commit yet there's just sit on the sidelines and read the backgrounds you can meet people that have been through both sides of the journey from intended parents and surrogates ask questions we're always <laughs> welcome to answering anything brilliant. brilliant thank you so much will you keep in touch mj let us yeah, know sure. when he arrives and all the um, best not long yeah. to go thank you very much thank you mm. all right take, take care. care bye bye See ya. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.